I came across the um, journal of a man, a man whose name you would recognize if I said it. He was a man who had a very rough life. I don't know many of your backgrounds, but this guy, he had been in the service and he dealt with the death and violence and all that goes on there. And uh, then his wife left him. In fact, his father-in-law tried to kill him. And he found himself in the prime of life doing his very best. He was a believer trying to live for God, and he was homeless. He then had multiple marriages, and I won't go into those details, but his first wife had left him, like I said. His father-in-law tried to kill him. He, he married again. Uh, he lost a newborn baby. I mean, everything that could go wrong in this guy's life went wrong. And then it really got ugly because he was in a blended family. His son from one of his marriages raped a daughter from another marriage. And then the brother of that girl that was raped got mad and killed the son that had raped the daughter. And then later, that same son who killed the rapist tried to kill his own father. And in the process, he died. So here's a man who's lost a baby, who's lost his daughter to a rapist, who's lost two sons, and he's writing in a journal or he's writing his prayers, and he's writing about joy and peace. I mean, how can a guy who's been through all of that have joy? How can somebody who's put their faith in God only to see their family decimated or to lose their job or all of that kind of stuff, how, how do they make it? How do you suppose they do it in their head? How do you have joy when God disappoints you? I don't want you to raise your hand, but is there anybody in this room who has tried to live a good life, tried to dot the I's and cross the T's, tried to be a Christian, tried to give like you're supposed to give and love like you're supposed to love, only to not have any money and to have people turn on you? I think there's probably a few folks in the room who's been that way. How, how do you have joy in the midst of all that? How do you have peace in the midst of all that? I'm talking, as some of you may have guessed, about David, King David, the David and Goliath David, the David who wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want David. He's the one that lost the boys. He's the one that lost the son. He's the one whose daughter was raped. He's the one who was homeless and running from his father-in-law who was trying to kill him. And here's the first and last lines of his journal entry I want to talk about on the next slide. He says, Hear me when I call, O God, in my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. And then he ends it this way. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Today, I really believe if you'll be sensitive, you're going to feel a sweet presence of God in this room. I, I believe God's going to give you a taste of peace. 
and joy. You, you've probably already felt those things or enjoyed those things to some extent. But, but God wants to give some of you a handle on how do I have joy when the bank account is not working out right? How do I have joy when my teenagers are sassing me? How do I have joy when my boss is a jerk and he keeps falsely accusing me and I do everything right and still get nailed for things I shouldn't get nailed for? How, how do I feel like God is even with me when all of that happens? David had a secret. David figured this thing out. And that's what I'd like to share with you. Would you pray with me and ask God for his help? God, we want to understand your principles and your precepts. I lose joy and peace in this congregation today. I pray, God, that as I speak truth, that you would verify it and validate it in the minds and the hearts of your people. I pray, God, that they would be aware of your love and of your joy and of your peace. And when they leave this place, they will have a little something they can take with them to change their lives. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I'm going to kind of talk to you more than preach to you this morning. King David, in our minds, was this guy who killed giants. You know, he's this guy who was lucky enough to be anointed king when he was just a kid. Here's this guy who gets to be the king of, of a great nation. And many times we think of him in those terms. We do think of him every once in a while about the bad guy who killed Uriah slept with Bathsheba, but usually we think about him as this guy who writes psalms. Now, there's a few people in this room, I could just, I, I could guess 25% of you in this room have a little streak of melancholy. Is there anybody in the room who kind of gets moody sometimes? It is, yeah, point. Uh, anybody kind of have a little, maybe you don't think you're good, but you kind of like to write a poem every once in a while. You're, you're you have this tendency on a snow day or on a, a lazy summer day to kind of get in this, these moods. And it's kind of nice sometimes, but other times it can get kind of dark. That was King David. King David was in touch with his feelings. He wasn't a sissy. He was just in touch with his heart. He knew what he was feeling. So sometimes when you read the Psalms, you read these deep, feelings that he's talking about. He's, I'm feeling like giving up, God. I don't even know if you're still alive, Lord. I don't even know if you're up there. I feel like I'm all alone. I feel like everybody's after me. Anybody ever feel that way? How, how do you deal with that? How do I, as a Christian, handle these thoughts and feelings that come at me? When I'm up in the middle of the night and nobody's up, I can't sleep, and all I can think about is the people who've been against me. All I can think about is my wife who we had an argument today, and she doesn't understand me. I'm trying to be a good husband. I'm working my fingers to a bone. I'm trying to be a good father. I'm trying to be a good mother, whatever it is that you're trying so hard to do, and it's just not working out. How do I have peace then? How do I have joy then? You may have figured this out, but it's, it's taken me a lifetime to figure this out. And, and the, ne the next slide was the first and the last of, of his entry. Um, Maybe I missed a, that one. Okay. Hear me when I call, oh God. Hear me when I call. In the middle of the night, sometimes, or in the morning when I pray, I have to sometimes say, God, listen to me. I, I, I believe you're up there, but listen to me when I call because I believe that you're going to take care of me when I'm in distress. So what I've done is I've taken Psalms 4 and I put it 
on paper, but what I did is I took it from the New Living Translation, and I've added just a few phrases, and I'm going to be honest with you and show what I've added because we're not supposed to add to or take from the Word of God. But I've made this prayer my own. And I'm wondering if some of you over the coming days may want to just read this and make it your own prayer. We're just going to go through it a little at a time. We can go to the next slide. He starts out by saying, faithful Heavenly Father, I trust you will answer me when I call to you. Now, that's where it has to start. David figured out that prayer wasn't him saying all the right things. It's not this formal thing where you have to please God by saying, Heavenly Father, thou art wonderful. I don't want to do anything to hurt you. Now, what do I say to a king? Prayer is when I go to God. It's like I go into my boss's office, and I, I come to his desk, and I put my problems on the desk, and I say, boss, I'm having trouble. You told me to run that department, and there's some people that are idiots in my department. I don't know what to do about those idiots in my department. Would you talk to me about that, God? I feel like strangling some few, a few people, and I know I'm not supposed to strangle them, so what do I do with those people? Prayer is me working through things. Prayer is me taking my heart to God. Prayer is me going to God and talk, talking through things. The Bible says he's my counselor. It, sa it says he's my comforter. So I don't go to him just to whine. I don't go to him just to complain, but I do go to him to talk to him. God, I trust that you're going to answer me. God, you declare me innocent. Lord, my boss is accusing me. My kids are accusing me. My, my, my neighbor's accusing me, and I didn't do anything wrong. So I have to find this place. The reason I get up early in the morning and go pray is because talk about a safe place. God loves me. God understands me. God never accuses me of anything that I didn't do. It's the safest place on the earth. If you want a good few minutes of a day, you go find your place in prayer and, and understanding his love for you. you. You go to the one who declares you innocent. And if you'll just get honest with him in the morning, God, I, am, I was a jerk yesterday. God, I lied, I sinned, I whatever. But you said, if I confess my sins, you are faithful and just to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So let me put it out on the table here. I messed up. Would you please forgive me? And in two minutes, your slate can be clean. And you can say, I am now innocent. Today, I'm going into the day with a clean heart. I'm going into the day. Nothing's wrong with me today. He has declared me innocent. He has set me free of all my troubles. And then I added, and all my second guessing. Any second guessers in the room here? That's, that's my problem sometimes. Here's, here's how it works with me, all right? I want to do the right thing. So I pray to God. I say, God, I have a decision to make. I don't know if I should do this or if I should do this. Now, I've tested it, and really, either way, it's not against the Bible. So, you know, that's one test. I know it's not wrong to do this or this, but I just still don't know what to do. What do I do? What do I do? What do I, I, got, I want to do the right thing. If I do this, I could. this could happen. And I don't want to sometimes take that risk and do it. You know? I want God to tell me what to do. And so I'll, I'll pray, God, give me a piece about which way to go. Or, or God, when I go to church today, let somebody say something to kind of trigger that way or this way. Or I'll give them a fleece. Lord, if this happens, then I'll believe it's you. And if that happens, I'll believe this is you. And I'll, I'll try to do whatever. And God doesn't always do that because sometimes he just wants us to live our life in complete confidence he's going to take care of us. But sometimes, a lot of times, he actually gives me direction. Some of you are nodding your head. Here's my problem. 
I go to church. I'm wondering, should it be this way, this way? And somebody says something so clear, I know there's the answer right there. And instead of just saying, thank you, Jesus, that's the way I'm going, I say, okay, now you've given me a reassurance now. How about a second reassurance? How about a third reassurance? How about well, maybe I misunderstood the reassurance. Maybe I was wanting that too hard. Maybe and God can't even help you. God could come speak to you with an audible voice, and you'll say, "Was that just in my head, or or what was that kind of thing?" Second guessing. But God sets me free from my second guessing when I go to him in prayer and I say, I'm going to pray. And when you give me some kind of direction, that's it, God. I trust you. I'm not going to be afraid anymore. I'm not going to be afraid of taking risks. I'm not going to be afraid of stepping in a direction. It's just settled for me. That was one of David's tricks, secrets. How, how do you live a life? How do you make it through the maze of life? How do you walk past all the corpses in life? And I don't mean to be too brutal, but many of you can relate to that. You've seen people who used to love God who don't love God anymore. You see a nation that used to declare under God, not declaring under God anymore. You see a culture that used to have its brains. It doesn't have its brains anymore. It's brutal out there. How do I have joy in the midst of that? Well, I stop my second guessing. I pray to him. I'm faithful to him. I commit to him. And so I can live a life of peace and joy because God's going to lead me and guide me. Anybody have that kind of confidence in God? Now, this, David wrote about the shepherd, right? Now, think with me. Help me here. Uh, quote this with me, all of you who can. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Well, that's, that's comforting, isn't it? But I want you to think about what you're really saying with David there. David is saying, I'm a sheep. I have no claws. I have no sharp teeth. I have no great sense of smell. I'm not like the mighty lion. I'm not like the, the cheetah that can run. I'm just a sheep. My only protection is my shepherd. Now, that can be a comfort to you or that can be very upsetting to you because it means if I don't learn how to rest in him, I'm a goner, man. I'm just a dumb animal out there. I don't have much brains. You know, I don't know how to go in or come out, the Bible says. So the trick is, is he your shepherd? Because if he's your shepherd, you have to go on in the psalm where it says, he prepares a table before me right smack dab in the presence of mine enemies. He gave you your job with all the, the, the people who work with you. And some days you don't even want to be there, do you? Some days you just want heaven to come take you home. How do you have joy then? How do you have peace then? Let's go to the next slide and see what else he says in his journal as he writes. He asks these questions, three questions. How long will my enemies try to ruin my reputation? How long will they make groundless accusations? And how long will they continue their lies? Well, I have an answer for David. Until you die. This is a brutal life. People are going to accuse you, you the nice person, you the conscientious person, 
You, the person that just prayed for them before you did what you did. You, the person that you're doing your very best to live for God. People will come accuse you of things that you're not even guilty of. But worse than that is your accuser, the enemy, Satan. He's forever perched as close as he can get to you. And he's nagging you all the time. Can anybody give me a witness to that? He, you're always feeling, did I do that right? Okay, now I messed up there. Okay, now. And, and sometimes it feels like it doesn't matter how hard I try, how faithful I am, how much I pray, how many principles I put into place, I, I just can't measure up. And in fact, some people get to the place where they say, why even try? It's because we don't understand. God doesn't expect you to get so good that people like you. God doesn't expect you to get so good that people stop accusing you. They accused him. God wants you to get so close to him that you stop listening to those voices. If you feel bad about yourself because someone called you stupid when you were three years old or seven years old or nine years old, or because you failed the spelling bee in front of everybody in the class, or because somebody raped you, or because somebody mistreated you, and you if you're still feeling bad about you, that accusation is there. It's accusing you, groundless accusations. Day after day, I'm dirty, I'm ugly, I'm stupid. I, I'm, all those things come at you. How do you deal with that? You say, I'm just a sheep. And I need a shepherd. And that, that enemy is coming. That bear is coming after me. That lion is coming after me. I'm just going to get a little closer to the shepherd here. I, I, can't, I can't fight those voices. I can't argue with those voices. I just have to come close to the shepherd and say, Shepherd, would you take care of those things for me? You, they're, they're, at, they're accusing me. My enemies are coming against me. Your enemies are not people. Sometimes people say things for the enemy. Sometimes the devil uses people. To accuse you. But most of you in this room can get all your accusations out of your own thinking. You don't need anybody to help you beat yourself up. Well, if you don't need anybody to beat yourself up, you probably don't need anybody to help you start thinking straight so you can have peace and joy. Because a lot of it's right up here in our own thinking. I am washed in the blood. I am loved. I am his child. I, I'm not perfect, but I'm doing my best to follow my shepherd. And if I'm with him, then he's protecting me. I don't have to worry about all the elements and all the bears and all the lions. He's protecting me. So my peace comes from knowing that I have a shepherd, not from knowing that I'm a perfect human being. Even those of you that have repented of your sins, isn't it so great to feel God forgiving you? It's like, I have nothing now. It's against me. That's such a great feeling. And isn't it so wonderful when you're baptized in Jesus' name and you know that Jesus doesn't even remember what you did anymore? And isn't it awesome when you're filled with the power of God and you feel the Holy Ghost flowing through you and there's joy and there's peace. There's, there's all this emotion that comes with that. That's a wonderful thing. But all that means is now you are his sheep. It doesn't mean there won't be accusations. It doesn't mean that your life's going to be smooth. It doesn't mean everybody's going to treat you right. It doesn't mean your family's going to all grow up right and do all the right things. All it means is, I now have a shepherd. Let's go on to what he says next. No matter. Would everyone say those two words? No matter. What's in your head right now saying, you're a loser? No matter. No matter. I don't care what the devil thinks of me. 
I don't care what my boss thinks of me. I mean, I want to do a good job. I don't care what my neighbor thinks of me. I don't care what my uncle thinks of me. I care what Jesus thinks of me. I, I, I am sure that he set me apart for himself. Is there anybody who feels like God has touched your life? Let's stop and think about that a minute. Do you know how few people today in Hartford area have felt the presence of God? Do you know there are people you work with who have never felt God's presence? You know, there's people who don't even know if God exists. They've, they've never had any kind of interaction with God. They've never had a prayer where they felt like God answered. They, they just know there's religious people, whacked out people who get together and jump up and down and shout and do things like we did just a few minutes ago. And they, they think we're a little suspect. But he has set you apart. You have talked to God and he has talked to you. Some of you have come to church and the, the questions you've had in your mind were answered verbatim, word for word. Some of you had conversations with one another before you got to church. And when you got to church, lo and behold, the preacher talks about your conversation that was in the car. Has that ever happened to you? He has set you apart. That's why you can have peace. And when the accusations come, you fall back on this like David did. I'm sure of this. The Lord set me apart for himself. So he's going to answer me when I call him. So I will not let any feelings or thoughts. Now, all of those softer colored ones are my added things. Uh, he says, I will not my, let my anger, but I will not let any feelings. I will not let any thoughts control me. I will. Think about it overnight. I'll remain silent. I'll go to prayer about it. So let's let's put it in very practical terms. Let's just say today is one of those days where you just feel like you're not a very good person. You just feel like I am a sorry human being. Maybe you snapped at somebody. Maybe you kicked the dog. And now you're feeling like I am such a, I don't even like myself. You know how it is? And sometimes Spirits are so powerful, it's hard not to believe it. So I have to choose. Am I going to believe what I'm feeling right now? Or am I going to believe what I know about salvation and I know about God and I know about his love for me? I have to decide because if you don't decide to believe truth, there are spirits, there are attitudes, there are feelings, there are moods that will control you. That's really what depression is. Depression is a very, very powerful spirit that will get you thinking the wrong thoughts. David could have gone in depression, but don't, don't let those feelings control you. Think about it overnight, and then I'll offer those sacrifices of praise and obedience. Now, this has already been talked about in church. Uh, today, we sang about it. You know, I, how do I overcome? I praise it. Now, why does praise work as a weapon? It's not because we juke and jive and get the blood moving and now there's endorphins and things like that. That can't happen. You can get high just on Pentecostal worship, right? That can't happen. But that's not what true praise does. True, true praise is me from the gut, from down deep inside, saying something that's true. He washed me. He loves me. He cares for me. It's me speaking truth, and that truth, pushes away every lie, every accusation. It comes against everything the enemy will bring against me. But I have to decide which voice I'm going to let loose. And some of us, again, going back to some of us melancholy people, we get high off of our negativity. We get high 
off of walking around saying, I am such a loser. I hate myself. I wish I were dead. I, yeah, da, 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 da. And, and there's something that feels good about feeling bad. Can I get a witness? Some of you may not even understand. You think people who do that are crazy. But there's some people that, that it feels better to beat themselves up than it does to sing a praise song. A praise song seems so sappy. Oh, yeah, Jesus loves me. Yeah, Jesus loves me. That's, that's so sappy. You know, I feel better saying I am jerk and I deserve to go to hell probably. It, it just something feels right about that. But praise and obedience in the right spirit, trusting God with results is what gives me joy. I, I, I can praise God and say, I may have made 10 wrong decisions. But you know what? If I pray and I ask God for guidance and I do my best, God can fix even my mistakes. God can take a mess. Look what he did with David. David killed a man. David committed adultery. That's the reason his family was in such a mess is because he was in a mess. But ultimately, David was somehow able to work through this stuff. And God made David a, an icon of bravery and an icon of righteousness and an icon, a man after God's own heart. And today, you and I don't look at David as a scumbag. Because he was somehow able to praise God, even though he was a scumbag sometimes. The reason I come to the altar, the reason I come to the cross, is because I realize I messed up sometimes. I have a wrong attitude sometimes. I let the, the, the bad things get the best of me sometimes. I listen to the wrong voices sometimes. So I come back to the throne again and again and again, and I say, God, I messed up this week. But this week, there's, there's mercy that's new every morning. And there's, there's grace that's sufficient. And there's his righteousness is imputed to me. And I'm going to believe those kind of things. I'm going to sing about those things. That's how I'll have peace and joy. What I'm saying to you is peace and joy is not some thing that just sweeps over me. Something that it's like the lottery. One of these days, peace is coming to my life. One of these days, joy is coming to my life. Ain't happening. Peace and joy comes when you get right with God. Now, if you're not getting right with God and you're trying to squeeze joy and peace out of life, good luck. But if you're being honest with God, it doesn't matter how poorly you're doing it. God has promised you, I'm going to give you my joy. I'm going to give you my peace. It's not your peace. It's not, it's not a circumstantial peace. It's not a spiritual peace that's out there somewhere. That's, that's what people, spiritual people are into nowadays. Let me get a crystal and see if I can get a ooky spooky feeling out of that. I'm not making fun of them. They're seeking peace and joy. They're trying to find it through gimmicks. It doesn't happen through gimmicks. Truth makes you free. If I know the truth, that truth makes me free. And when I sing about the truth, and when I say the truth out loud, then I'm, I'm, I'm believing God. I believe God more than I believe my gut right now. I believe God more than I believe my memory right now. I believe God more than my, I believe my mother right now. My confidence is not in my ability. It's not that I did everything right, and so everything's turning out right. My confidence is like David. I don't know. I'm a shepherd. Uh, there may be a cliff over there. There may be a bear over there. There may be some clovers that would kill me over there. But I have a shepherd. I have a shepherd. He makes me to lie down in the green pasture. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. So surely goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. Let's go on just a little further here. We're almost done with his song. He says, many voices will say, who will show us better times? And this is what I added, because this is what comes to me. 
where is God's protection and provision? We, we believe he protects us. We believe he provides for us, right? I believe in God's healing. Do you? How many in this room believe in God's healing? Now, how many of this room have something physically wrong with you? Did you raise your hand? Any kind of thing that you could be healed of? So how can half of us have something wrong with us and we still believe in healing? How does that work? It works because I have confidence that God is well able to take care of anything that I give to him. And I trust him enough that if he doesn't take care of it, he knows what he's doing. My peace doesn't come from abracadabra, I'm healed of every sickness. I never have a cold because I just sprinkle a little Jesus on that and it all goes away. That's not Christianity. Christianity is, says, I'm going to pray and I'm going I'm to give God more opportunity than I give the doctor. I'm going to go to God before I go to the doctor. I'm going to believe God to heal me. But if he doesn't want to heal me, that's kind of up to him. Let me give you a real practical example I've shared before. Some of you may have heard, but when I was uh, in my early 20s, my mom got cancer. My mom was a prayer warrior. My mom uh, in the church was looked up to as a woman of prayer. Now she has cancer. She went to the front and got prayed for and got prayed for and got prayed for. At that point in time, things have changed a little since, but me and my two brothers were all pastoring churches. So there was three pastors. Her sons were three pastors. The two son-in-laws were assisting churches. So there were five churches that we as kids were part of, and her home church and all five of our churches were praying for her healing. That's a lot of people praying for someone to be healed. She had breast cancer. It got worse. She had a mastectomy. It got worse. We prayed. We believed. I seen God heal. I have laid hands on people, and they have been healed of cancer. And I prayed for my mom that she'd be healed of cancer. And she actually came down to Texas where I was at at the time, and we prayed for her. And when she went home, she found out that a tumor had gone away. God had just taken the tumor away. Reminding us God can heal. And a year later, she died. So my brain is saying, huh? This doesn't, this isn't right, you know. If, if I've got healing, I want healing. How can I pray for my mom and she gets healed of a tumor and then dies of the disease? That doesn't even make sense unless you trust him. Everybody's going to die at some point, right? Do you trust him? I think that's the bottom question. The enemy's going to come along and say, God's not really protecting you. God's not really providing for you. This is what he's really saying to you. God's got you on a dumb path. God has not taken care of you. He's giving that guy a raise, but he's not giving you a raise. He's healing her, but he's not healing you. I'm getting down where the rum meets road now. I'm, I'm talking to mature people right now. I'm not talking to uh, lightweights. How do you have joy when you look right at situations and know he didn't answer that prayer? He didn't give me that provision. We're not... We're not playing games here. We're not just saying, oh, Jesus loves us and everything's okay. And when things happen bad, we just say, oh, let's pretend that's not there. Jesus loves us. Jesus. No, we look right in the face of sickness. We look right in the face of disaster. We look right in the face of bad things that happen to people. And we say, he's my shepherd. And if he didn't save me from that in this life, I can rest assured that ultimately I'm protected. It was during my, my mother's death 
that I listened to a sermon by Brother James Kilgore. And the name of the sermon was, What Does the Shield of Faith Shield Us From? And he made the point. I have faith not that life won't happen to me. I have faith that God is with me no matter what happens to me in life. And what faith shields me from is eternal destruction. If I can believe God when I'm dying of cancer, then I'm going to live forever with him. But if cancer can convince me God is mean and I can get bitter at God, my faith no longer has me protected. I'm going to hell. So David had to learn. I am not going to let some voice come in my head and start accusing God. He's not answering your prayers. He's not being good to you over here. And that person's still mean to you over there. And a bitterness sets in. I'm going to let praise come and say, I don't know who's going to treat me right tomorrow. I don't know how things are going to turn out. I don't know which of my prayers God's going to answer. But he is good. And he is right. And he is just. And he is faithful. And he is worthy of honor and praise. And to the flesh, that looks like silliness. Because the flesh only wants to worship God when when God is jumping through the right hoops. But the true believer, the true sheep, looks at his shepherd and says, okay, shepherd, I don't want to go up that steep hill, but if that's the path you're choosing for me, that's the path I will. I want to share one more thing, and then we're going to go to the last section. Personally, I learned this years ago. I was in Texas. We had worked in Texas for 12 years. I was an assistant pastor. We had seen a church grow from like 30, 40 people to 200 people. It was now at a place where I was finally going to be able to be taken care of. They were going to be able to build me a house, and I was going to be able to pastor the church. And God changed it all and sent me to New England. When I got to New England, I was pastoring a smaller church than I was assisting at there. And it was uh, because of the high cost of living in New England, it was like, you know, bird seed to live on. And so for the first two or three years, my wife and I got, uh, I had to work jobs like I was a, a substitute teacher. I painted fences. I worked in a wood shop. I just did what I could to piece things together as I was trying to pass for a church. And, and we got to the place where we were having to live on credit cards, not because we were being uh, unfrugal in our living, but because I came to New England and obeyed God. And it was at that time when I was strapped for money, God wasn't at that point, solving my money problems. I was being a good steward, but I just didn't have enough money. That God started talking to my wife and I, and he sent three or four different people prophetically to say, I have called you to walk a path that many will not be willing to walk. I'm asking you to trust me with that. Well, that may seem like a cute little thing for God to say, but you know, when you're walking the path and when you're having to deal with the bill collectors and when you're having to deal with God not answering prayer, that's a huge thing. But throughout the years now, we've been here 23 years and God has changed a lot of that. I'm not rich yet, but God has taken care of us. And again and again, I've had to choose. Will I stay on the path? Will I stay on the path? Because the enemy is always trying to talk you off the path. So the path of love and joy and peace is not some mystical thing. It's the path where you just choose all over again every day that you're going to trust him. Can we go to the last slide or the last part of this sermon? I will say, let your face smile on me, Lord. You have given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvests of grain and new wine. 
So in peace, I will lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, have and will keep me safe. Would you stand with me? Can you say that kind of thing? Can you say, you have given me greater joy than those that have abundant harvest? Lord, you have given me more joy than the guy I'm jealous of because he has a new Jaguar and I'm driving an old Beetle that won't even run very well. Can you say, tonight when you go home, I lie down in peace? How do you do that? Well, you pray this prayer. And when you get to thinking wrong, you pray the prayer again. And when you get to thinking wrong, you tell yourself the truth again. And when you feel that feeling that seems so powerful and God seems so far away, you keep speaking the truth. And the truth makes you free. Last slide, there's a, a song that I'm wondering if you can learn to sing with me. I don't mean sing it right now, but in your heart. It goes like this, unfold my life like the flower in the springtime. Lord, let your will bring the rain or the sunshine. Teach me to wait with patience until I see my life unfold in your will. Here's, here's the thing. God is wanting to unfold your life and 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 your life. But half of you or a third of you right now might even be wondering, do I even want to give my life to God? Because I gave it to him and it's not turning out like I wanted it to turn out. And that's when the rubber meets the road. That's when the, the battle is won. It's when I'm in the middle of a trial, and I don't understand, I don't see or feel anything good right now. And I can call on what I know from, from the Word of God, from my knowledge of God. He is faithful. He will never leave me or forsake me. He is well able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. Right now, today, I, I'm going to turn this to your pastor, and he can do the altar what he wants to do. But right now, today, God would just have you think straight. The path of joy and peace is not some feeling you stumble into. The path of joy and peace is when I, I go where God said to go. And if I, if I take some flack for it, hey, it's life. If it's steep, if I slip, and if I bruise my knees, hey, it's the path God put me on. If it's the hardest thing I've ever done, it's still meaningful and purposeful because I'm following my shepherd. My shepherd's calling me to a higher place. This is the toughest thing I've ever done. This is the hardest hill I've ever climbed, but I have confidence in him. And I, I don't let the hill define me. I don't let my enemies define me. I don't let my feelings define me. I let my shepherd define me. And he's calling me higher. He's calling, he's calling Lighthouse to places it's never been before. But he, he needs people who buy in. He needs people who believe God's going to do something mighty in this town. Not because of your ability, but because he's leading. If God can get enough people to follow him, he's going to blow this thing up. You won't be able to fit in this building very long because the shepherd wants to do something, but he's got to talk you into it. you got to believe. I wonder if you'd join me in prayer as I turn this to your pastor. God, I've spoken your word. I pray now for joy and peace in the life of everyone who's here, God, as they cast their cares on you right now, Lord. 
as they confess to you their weakness, Lord, as they bring to you all their issues, I pray that you would allow your joy and your peace to reign in their lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let's continue to pray this morning. This is a word from the Lord. This is, I want to share just what I feel impressed that the Lord is wanting to do. The Lord is wanting us to pledge our devotion to him. You know, that's why the Lord allows us to be in relationship to teach us how to walk with him. You think of your spouse, you think of your child, you think of your parents. Do you jump ship the first time things don't go the way you think they should? You don't. You walk with your kids through difficult times. You walk through with your spouse through difficult times. You walk through with your parents through difficult times. The mountains and the valleys, the good times and the bad, you, you, you see them through because you're devoted. You're committed. You pledge your heart, your allegiance. And Jesus is calling for that same thing. He's, he's done so much more than that for us. He's been with us through our failures. He's been with us through our shortcomings. He's been through us, with us, with our, un, our broken promises to him time and time again. The fact that we're in this place and can feel his presence, amen, in spite of all that we are. I mean, I'm so glad that he loves me in spite of me. And he loves you in spite of you. And he's here right now saying, will you pledge your devotion to me? Will this just be a fling where you come to me when you need something? You knock on my door when all is going wrong? Or you only seek my face when things are going well, and then the moment you hit a challenge, the moment you have a steep climb, you bail, you jump ship. Stop coming to church. You stop praying. You stop trusting. Jesus wants to know in this service today, will we pledge our devotion to him? No matter what, no matter the circumstance, no matter the outcome, no matter if our prayers, amen, get answered the way we feel like they should be answered or not, are we committed to the relationship? Will I pledge my devotion and pursue him and love him and be loved by him in righteousness today? This altar, I want to invite us to come and pray. I feel like this is a very sacred moment in this service today for us to seek the Lord, for us to pledge our devotion. This is not, amen, about Checking a box and say, well, I made it to church today. I heard a good word today. My emotions got touched and stirred today. But if you will, every one of us are standing at the altar. The Bible refers to the church as the bride. The church is the bride of Christ. Christ is the groom. And so sometimes I'm sure people wonder why we make such a big deal about the altar. Because the altar is a big deal. 
Those of you who are married in this place, you've taken a vow to pledge your love and your devotion to your wife, to your husband, till death to us part, for richer, for poor, through sickness and in health, amen, through mountains and valleys and so on. You have pledged your devotion. You said, I am committed. I am in. The altar is a place of commitment. It's a place of sacrifice. It's a place of devotion. It's a place where I say it's not all about me, but it's about what we can be together. And so I want to open up this altar. Jesus is here today. We are his bride. And I believe he wants to know, is there someone in this place who will pledge your devotion to me? Not so that I can see, not so that the person sitting next to you beside you can see, but in public and in private places, everything we are, every place that we go, that our hearts are totally committed to him. Why don't we lift our hands unto the Lord? This altar is open at this time. If you want to come and pledge your devotion to him, I invite you to come forward and say, today is a day I devote my love to you, Jesus. Today is a day I devote my affection to you, Jesus.